What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. I have to apologize in advance. Maybe the weather here in New York is um, really torrential today, and I already lost power while Olivia and I were just chatting, and it cut us out. So if you hear any rain or tropical depressions or hurricanes outside, I can't really do anything about it. So I apologize in advance. And I've got to apologize because I am sick yet again. I just feel like this whole winter here, I've just been congested. I'm not, I don't actually feel sick. I just feel, you know, congested and coffee and all that type of stuff. So I don't know. I think it's because no one did anything much last year and now all the bugs are back in force. Hopefully it's not COVID because COVID has also made a comeback here. So that's fun for us. Saying before, I feel like we switched places because like last year it was so bad in New York that we were like in a serious lockdown and you were like, oh, we're fine here. No one has it. And now it's like everyone in New York is finally getting vaccinated, but now you're in lockdown. <laughs> That's a good, um, a good lesson, I guess, for everyone to learn because we are so far away from everyone and we're an island. So essentially it was easy for us to kind of cut off from the rest of the world. And I think at some points, like we've always had little outbreaks here and there of COVID, but they get it under control within a few weeks but um a few I don't even know like it's just crazy how quickly things can change too but it's been a few weeks and there was no COVID I think we're at like 100 days without COVID or you know a lot of days anyway and um some limo driver who transports air like international air passengers didn't wear a mask or didn't do whatever the proper protocol was and he got the Delta strain. So now Sydney has the Delta strain. I don't live in Sydney. I live just outside of Sydney. But because we're in such close proximity, we are lumped in with them. Sydney's now in lockdown, um, has been this – I think they've just extended it for a third week. This It was meant to end today. We've got another week at least. I'm hoping we will get out after this next week just because there's no cases actually here. Um, but the Delta one is just something else. It's crazy. It spreads so, so quickly. Um, I don't know. I I, don't, I, feel, I feel like with the Delta, people are just thinking now, well, here, like before we had eradicated it generally, and now I think they're thinking this is something we're going to have to live with just because it's so contagious. There's no way that you can basically eradicate it. Um, and the thing is, too, because we had no cases for so long, everyone became complacent. Hardly anyone got vaccinated. There was no rush to get the vaccinations in. And because we are so far away from everyone, it's really hard for us to get the vaccinations here for whatever reason. Um, anyway, they've tried to ramp it up. Um, I saw from August they're going to have a million doses a week. We've got 25 million people in the country. So anyway, I don't know. It's it's a bit of a shit show at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that's a start. <laughs> start. Yeah. I, know, and it, I was just it's saying like- to Steph before, it's such a shame because – I hate winter. Like, it's really depressing to me. It's not, we don't get any snow here where I live. So it's not even fun. It's just cold and disgusting and not nice. But I had so many fun things planned. Broke my toe the other week. And now I had all these other fun things. And now COVID has just ruined it for me. (laughs) So I'm getting my turn of the depression. Yeah. I was saying how for us, at least like for the first month of winter, it's fun because we get snow and it's like Christmas time. And then after that, you're sick of it. But it's like, you have Christmas in the summer. And I, re- I really, really do no feel, snow. 
that this has been a bad year for sickness. And it's not terrible sickness. It's just annoying sickness, like colds and coughs and all that. And I think it's because everyone was so protected last year. And, you know, now it's the kind of reemergence of these other bugs apart from COVID. What's how, so Mike and my boyfriend and I, like, we're both vaccinated and, like, our friends are vaccinated. And, you know, a lot of people around here are vaccinated because New York had it so bad that we, like, all got vaccinated pretty quickly. So we started going out again, like, not wearing masks, really. And we went and saw our friends last weekend or the weekend before. And anytime we do anything where we're around a lot of people, like, the next day we feel so, like, our throats are scratchy and we're so sniffly. And I was like, wow, my immune system, like, I feel like it should be better, but I feel like it's, like, shot now because we've been wearing masks for so long and not seeing people. So I just feel, like, sick every time I see people. Last winter. So for us, winter is the middle of the year. So your summer is our winter. So last winter, we had a great winter. Like, I've got little kids. So usually, like, I don't know, for any parent who knows, the first probably five years of a kid's life, they always seem to be sick, especially when they go to daycare or school or whatever. They get all the bugs and their immune system's picking up. But last winter, we had nothing. It was amazing (laughs) because we didn't go anywhere. And, you know, they'd been in lockdown for a lot of the time or, you know, and it was very hygienic, I guess, a lot of the time too. Um, they weren't but, in school totally right yeah, no well the, I think we went back to school in like May or something so we were they were in school for winter but it just seemed to be a much easier winter I don't know why and I think then then like social distancing got less because it was all right and then you know all the all these other things have since happened but I read I did see some talk with the doctor and they're like my kid is so sick this year and he goes I think it's honestly just because they had a year off from being exposed to all these bugs and now that everything's back um, you know, yeah. I'm obviously not a medical expert, but that's what it seems <laughs> to me as well before anyone's like, no, that's not what happened. But I feel yeah. like that it seems to me, maybe that's an explanation for it. No, that's what we were thinking too. Cause mm-hmm. I didn't even get like a cold or anything for the last year or even yeah. like any viruses. And now it's like, if I go out, I'm just like, Ugh, I don't really feel good. I've been seeing my on my like Facebook memories or whatever that I think it was like four years ago, possibly around then, we went on a cruise and both my kids had just been diagnosed with influenza. I'm pretty sure it was influenza. Oh, I remember B, that. Like actual influenza. They were so sick and it was going around like basically the whole school was eradicated. And so I'm thinking, gosh, it's just been <laughs> my oldest is nearly 10 and my youngest is eight. So every year of their life, generally, there's been some massive sickness for whatever reason. Yeah. So I remember anyway. that happening. <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> All right. So I guess we'll get into our normal episode stuff before the hurricane happens here and I lose power again. So let's power through this. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about the Miami condo collapse. So there's a little bit of an update now that they demolished the second other tower. the other part of the building, because I guess that was kind of a threat because it was unstable. So they couldn't really search properly. The death toll is actually, as of one hour ago, 64. So they found four more victims on a th- on Thursday. 76 people are potentially unaccounted for, it says now. Yeah, and I'm sure by the time we put this out, it'll be, be totally different. So. Still, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't find a lot of those people. They would have probably maybe been totally destroyed, which is terrible, but I wouldn't be surprised if they can't find a lot of them. Yeah, it's... Weird to think about. I feel like they'd have to find something of most people. It just makes you also realize how fucking crazy 9-11 must have been. Yeah. It just seems like such a fiasco. Like, where do you even start? Yeah, it's crazy. 
Oh, very sad. I saw one family, I think the whole entire family passed away. There was two little girls and a mum and a dad, and I saw that they buried them all in the same casket, which just think, oh, God, it's just horrendous. Mm. It was randomly also, I know, two Australian people who actually were in that building and died as well, which seems random, but apparently they moved there four years ago and they were an older couple, like maybe in their 60s or 70s. So it's just, yeah, it seems to have reached a lot of countries, a lot of different, you know, not just that little area. Yeah, I saw they said they were finding like most people just like dead in their beds. So you have to hope that they were just sleeping and kind of never woke up Hopefully, instead of being like crossed. trapped and terrified. Yeah. Um. So there's no way to really segue into this next <laughs> not really update, but just <laughs> something random that happened. So yeah, I'm just so we're just gonna go for it. <laughs> that Alan White, one of the missing executives that we've talked about before. We did an episode on him, and I'm sure we've done some updates on it in other episodes. Yeah. Um, someone was using his photo on a panty buying website. Really selling. So someone posted that they're actually a member of this panty, it's called pantydeal.com, <laughs> and that they'd noticed that someone was using Alan White's profile uh, photo as their profile picture. So basically the person's using his massive shaft. <laughs> and I know it's like I shouldn't laugh because they shouldn't be using this photo, but it's just so crazy. So it's just the photo of Alan in kind of like a grey polo, smiling, looks like a nice guy. And this is the person's profile. It says, I take time to look at who I am buying from to make sure I am not wasting my time. I want the best of the best. And if you can't provide that for me, then I'll respectfully tell you that I appreciate your time, but I must pass. And then <laughs> hashtag asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm assuming that has something to do with what you eat and pee and is on your panties for whatever reason, which I know this is so crazy. <laughs> also, like, and then it, now that I think about it, like, who – why would you put your photo anyways? I know. What, like, like, if I had some can- weird, like, thing where I was buying people's panties, like, I wouldn't be like, here's my photo. <laughs> it says his hobbies are golf, spending time with my animals, long walks on the beach, sniffing used panties from sexy women, church, <laughs> <laughs> watching Supernatural, and buying vials of beautiful girls' lemonade. So I didn't really think much about that, but apparently lemonade is kind of code word for urine, um, which is interesting. And then he's also written other. I am looking for beautiful, sexy, and sweet women to please my needs. These are dirty panties, lemonade vials, covered lollipops. I don't really know what that is. I'm sure we could probably have a guess, but I don't really know. Feet pics. <laughs> Literally everything. I will buy your most off-the-wall things if it is of pleasure to get you paid. I I get hard thinking about you making a personalized package containing dirty things just for me. <laughs> so crazy. I <laughs> I wonder, like, this girl needs to call him out. I know. We'll message him and find out what's going on because... Be like, hey, just be like, hey, not trying to hate, but just so you know, the person in your profile is, was a missing person who's now dead. dead. FYI. I I don't know. You'd think surely you might do. I guess they've just Googled white. Like, I would also, again, love to know what they Googled to find this photo because... You know, who knows? I bet that they, like, literally Googled, like, white man or something, because his last name is White, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's probably what came up. Like, white male. That was a very unexpected little happening. Obviously, it's just someone who's a troll or, you know, who's picked a photo that they found. I don't think it has any meaning for Alan's case. Oh, no. It's just someone who Googled, like, a stock image to use instead of just using, like, 
an avatar, but just like the Chris Watts dad blanket and the maternity leave Chris Watts thing that we spoke about the other week. I know. It's like, <laughs> if you're gonna use a stock photo, like do do a little research on it. Make sure it's not a dead or missing person. At least double check. Yeah. Or murderer, you know. <laughs> just like put in a little bit extra effort. Yeah. But I think that's is that any other updates we want to talk about? I think that's it. Um, all right. So I how we came up with today's kind of topic is I was reading about a case of David and Christy Evans, which we're gonna actually speak about today. It's about a wife who kind of orchestrated the murder of her husband. And I got to thinking about this actually happens quite often. I know there's some famous cases which we'll talk about at the end, but I I just started to go down the rabbit hole of kind of spousal murders and got a bit lost. So I thought that might be a good one to cover today. Um, I had a look and it's called the actual murder of someone's wife or girlfriend is called, how do you even say that? Yoxericide? I'd say Yuxericide? I'm pretty Uxericide? sure it's, we'll just say Uxericide, which means to cut or to kill. And that's the murder of someone's wife or girlfriend. Um, and then the killing of someone's husband or boyfriend is called mariticide. Overall rates of spousal violence and homicide in the US have declined since the 1970s. I'm assuming this is because of DNA and, you know, stuff like CCTV and people just not being able to get away with things as easily as they did in the past. Like but the why rate- there's no more serial killers, really? Yeah, exactly. Um, The rates of a man killing his wife are much higher than the opposite. So, you know, obviously more men kill their wives and more women kill their husbands. Of the 2,340 deaths at the hands of intimate partners in 2007, female victims made up 70%. FBI data found that women, uh, sorry, for every 100 husbands who killed their women, about 75 women killed their husbands. And if you live in these areas, you better watch out because wives are more likely to kill their husbands in Chicago, Detroit, Houston, and St. Louis, <laughs> which is random. Um, and in the region of Southeast Asia, 55% of all murdered women died at the hands of their partner. Um, 40% of women in Africa died by their partner and 38% in America, which I thought it would be higher than that in America. But anyway. Yeah, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. It's weird. And so rates of men killing their wives fluctuate across Western cultures. Seven women are approximately killed per month in England and Wales, four women per month in Australia, and 76 women per month in the United States. That's kind of, I guess, proportionate to their populations as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the cases we're going to discuss today are two that I think probably have slipped a bit under the radar. The first one especially I find really, really wild. Like it's so crazy to me that this all happened with that one when i was um just like reading the notes and stuff i always like to look at reddit to see like what other people are saying and like other opinions and stuff so like the second case we're going to talk about i found a few threads about it on this one there was literally like one thread about this case with like six comments so i thought it was crazy because i was like this case is really crazy for no one to give a fuck i really feel like this one could have had the jody arias kind of notoriety because there is a lot of information and a lot of evidence and a lot of um controversial I guess evidence based you know which we'll go into in a minute but I feel like this just has it all and it's for some reason it's just been really really low-key so I thought that people might I guess enjoy isn't the right word because you don't really enjoy hearing about things like this but be Be interested 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 to hear about this case so the first one we're going to speak about is the case of Pastor David Evans and his wife, Christy. 
They lived in Ada, Oklahoma, and had been married for over 30 years when this all happened earlier this year. They'd started dating in February 1991 and were married just four months later. So at the time this all happened this year, David was 50 and Christy was 47. So they had been married. Christy was still a teenager when they got married and David might have been right around 20. So over the years, the couple had one daughter and two sons together. David was a pastor at Harmony Free Will Baptist Church. I had a look at the church's website. A lot of their stuff has been scrubbed since this, but the website's still there. And basically the only thing it has on there is their motto or their slogan. And it says, growing the kingdom, growing the Christian, growing the mission. So All capital letters. Yeah. <laughs> Very aggressive. So the bulk of this story kind of takes place in March 2021. Pastor Dave Evans was shot and killed while home with his wife in Ada, Oklahoma, the morning of March 22nd, one week after returning home from a mission trip in Mexico. Dave was very, very energetic pastor, uh, very driven to, to be a pastor and, and to do well. According to the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigations, when officers got to the scene, Dave was severely injured and was unable to be saved. Now, those who were close to and loved Evans want to know why something like this happened. Heart-wrenching and uh, something we still can't really wrap our minds around, uh, that we've lost such a, a great man, great father, great pastor. Evans had served as a pastor at Harmony Baptist Church in Ada for five years. His loved ones say he was funny, unique, and cherished by the community. Miss him a great deal. Of course, they're shocked and devastated and, and can't believe this news. Investigators took to Facebook asking for any information as to who would want to hurt him. So far, investigators have not identified any suspects. Um, David's Facebook is still up and open, so I encourage everyone to go and have a look. I'll put it on the blog, but you'll get a lot of an idea about what was going on at the time. Christy's Facebook has been closed right down. It's still there, but you can't see anything, but we have all the screenshots, so make sure you go and check them out because it will give you a bit more of an idea into what was happening. On March 18, David wrote a Facebook post about some mission work that he was doing near the Mexico border. He wrote, doing our best to be the hands and feet of Jesus and showing God's love to others, helping migrant people as they are dropped off right across the border by Border Patrol. So there's another one, um, like, you know, he's got lots of posts of when he was in Mexico, but one says, spending some fantastic time in Mexico today. And it's a photo of a selfie of him on a street in Mexico. And there's another one with him and a group of people at a restaurant. And he's written, good food, great friends, Mexico. So he was documenting this whole trip pretty well. Yeah, it's like a typical like boomer selfie. Yes. Like yeah. exactly what you'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. And even like he updated, I guess they maybe went through Texas and he's like enjoying the great state of Texas. You know, he's yeah, like someone's dad. He's really someone's dad. <laughs> Just updating. Yeah. Before he left for the Mexico trip, so on March 15, a few days before, he wrote a Facebook post about his love for his wife. It's quite long. I'll just read some of it. But he's written, hot date tonight. This will include running a couple of errands and a much-needed trip to Walmart and then dinner out. Kind of funny. Not exactly the way I planned it. But schedule and needs often affect the best-made plans and intentions. Christy and I do not take or make nearly enough date nights, so we make often make sure we are dating while taking care of life's other duties. Tonight we celebrate yet another special anniversary. 30 years ago, I proposed to my girlfriend and she said yes. She went from girlfriend to fiancé to wife very quickly. After some maturing on my part, I realised she's still my girlfriend. I don't own her, can't control her. She's my equal partner and I know how amazing she really is. So 
this goes on and on about how amazing their life is. Um, and then he also says, which is interesting, I could have chased the almighty dollar, but I'm glad that together we have chosen to chase God. 30 years have seen a lot of ups and downs, and God has always been good and faithful to us, even as we have failed him. As life moves on, I hope you know that first I love God. So, you know, he goes on. Thank you for our kids and grandkids. Thank you for being you. I also highlight the part where he says, can't control her, she's my equal partner, because that's kind of ironic exactly once is, you hear the, yeah. the rest of the story. So he says, he finishes with, so tonight as we run errands and date, no, I love you. And if you'd have me, I'd do it all again. P.S. Doesn't my hair look really good in this pic? And his hair does not look really good. But anyway, (laughs) so that was kind of their life that they portrayed to everyone on Facebook. She also wrote posts, as I said, that have been taken down, but, you know, loving posts about her husband and how amazing he was and all that type of stuff. So they were portraying to everyone that they were really a perfect couple. Even on that boomer selfie that I said, she commented and said, that's one great looking man I have right there. So David came home from Mexico to his life with Christy. She made a post on March 21, and she said that David had sent her specialty-made necklaces while he was in Mexico. Part of the post said, So every day I opened a card and was reminded of how blessed, loved, and lucky I am. I love you so much, David. A lot of exclamation points. Yeah. So that was March 21. March 22, it all something happened went wild. Christy the next called, day. The next day <laughs> Christy called 911 to report that her husband had been shot in the head while he was sleeping in bed. She says, someone shot my husband. He's in a pool of blood and I heard a loud pop. She went on to say he's bleeding out of his nose and his mouth and it's all over the bed and that she doesn't know how it happened. Someone shot my husband. I heard a pool of blood and I heard a loud pop. Do you see a gun anywhere around him? <laughs> so this all seems to have come kind of come out of the blue. There was from all accounts no public, you know, warning that this would happen. It just all happened very suddenly. I haven't been able to find much about the next few days following his death. I know that there was an investigation and I've read that Christy was questioned a few times. But on March 25, so three days after the murder, Christy confessed to police that she had orchestrated the whole thing. That's a little bit tricky because we're going to backtrack now so it's not quite in chronological order, but I think it's important that we go into their life before the murder. Mm -hmm. There's been Facebook messages that have now come out between Christy and David, which range from 2017 to 2021. And they show that David was very unhappy with his sex life. He pushed Christy to make it more exciting. In one exchange, which was November 27, 2017, Christy said she was open to anything, but only as long as it only involved the two of them. By the next month, David started asking her if she'd, how she'd feel if during a threesome, he and another man would call her a bitch, a slut, and a whore. She didn't mind, she said, as long as the insults remained generic. She has also since said that David took her to nudist parks and also to sex clubs. Also a reminder, this is a pastor. Yeah, a pa- yeah someone who yeah, Just loves- keep that in mind. <laughs> um, he also started posting on Craigslist looking for sex partners. He kept hounding Christy via Messenger, which is useful for us, I guess, because now we have all these 
you know, messages and I'm assuming this is all going to come out in court soon. He asked her twice to bring home a co-worker for sex and she said no and he, he asked her to perform sex acts with other men. At one point, he demanded she provide him with a typed up printed statement detailing their sex life. In caps, he wrote, must hear from you. So crazy. He's such a creep. In an hours-long fight that same April, the messages showed he called her a frigid bitch and blamed her for her failure to hook up with other swinger couples. They did not want a second round with you, he said. Christy wrote back and said that she wasn't looking for sex with those people anyway, and then David threatened to take his own life. She wrote back, I will be supportive and quiet, soft and gracious. And he wrote, give me something sexual, something now, something that you provide, not that I make happen or beg or force. And then caps, you give something. Psychopath. He's such a jerk. So this went on from 2017 and they still had marriage troubles up until at least February this year. And David told their kids that Christy was going to divorce him in February. Their daughter, Brittany, then tried to for hours to contact her mother, and when Christy finally answered the phone, she was acting robotic, offering brief answers and saying that their relationship was fine. Brittany later found out that while she was on the phone to Christy, David was sitting there and had a three fifty seven revolver aimed at his chin. It's just so crazy to me that this guy had such a double life, and no one seemed to know about it. The only people who knew about it were his immediate family, and that's it. Yeah, it different than josh duggar but similar in a lot of ways yeah. we have that public religious like persona family guy persona and then behind the scenes you're just like a fucking maniac yeah so at some point this year 2021 david succeeded in finding a sexual partner for a threesome the man that they found was 26 year old khalil dini square the court documents that were released after the murder said that david and christy met khalil a few months ago at a super eight motel for sex Captain Beth Green, who's from the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, said the three of them, Christy, Khalil, and David, had a sexual relationship. Christy and Khalil also had a separate sexual relationship, just the two of them. I've seen in some articles that Khalil is also referred to as David's lover, so it seems that all three of them were intimate together. This wasn't just a case of David watching Christy with someone else. David was also kind of in the relationship. On one occasion at the Super 8 Motel, Christy dropped her phone number on the floor for Khalil to find, and the two continued to have a separate sexual relationship without David knowing. So when he was in Mexico, David was, right before the murder, Khalil went to the Evans house to stay with Christy, and the two then planned David's murder. The plan was for Khalil to come into the house in the the middle of the night and shoot David with a gun and ammunition that had actually belonged to David that Christy had given Khalil. So this is all coming from the police, this this information. Christy gave David's gun and a box of bullets to Khalil. Christy and Khalil agreed upon an approximate time Khalil would come to the Evans residence to kill David. Christy left the back door unlocked so Khalil could make entry to the residence. Khalil arrived sometime around 1am and when Christy heard him arrive, she went into the living room to find him crouched down in there. Khalil told Christy he was concerned about making too much noise, but Christy urged him to proceed with the plan. She turned her back while Khalil snuck into the bedroom and remained in the living room as he fired the fatal shot. Christy said that after Khalil ran out the back door, she went into the bedroom and saw her husband lying in bed making a gurgling sound. She sat on her side of the bed and called 911. So after this all happened, neighbours also gave police uh, surveillance footage that showed what is allegedly Khalil's white Ford Mustang at the house the night of David's death. So when Christy eventually confessed to police, 
She told them that David had been abusive to her for many years. She said he called her fat, ugly, and a slut. What she told agents was that he was verbally abusive and controlling of her. And it's also been revealed that Christy said she begged Khalil to help murder David. Her father is Ed Armour, and he said about the situation, she seized an opportunity to escape from her personal hell. There's a social worker named Evan Stark, and he has written a book called Coercive Control, How Men Entrap Women in Personal Life. And he has said that Christie's circumstances show a classic case of coercive control. It's really about taking away the things that make us free, he said. These relationships can include frequent, low-level physical violence. You don't show up at church with a black eye, he said, and several other abusive behaviours. He's denying her the right to walk the way she wants, to sleep the way she wants, to bathe when she wants. These are all the little rights that people take for granted. So since this all happened, her family, the rest of the family have come out and spoken as well. There's a really, really in-depth article from NBC, which I'll link in the blog, and this info comes from that. Outside of their home, David Evans was a confident jokester with a magnetic personality, someone who told actually funny jokes, their daughter Brittany said. But inside their home, she couldn't recall a time when her father wasn't abusive. He would slam the kids' heads together and lift them by their hair. Brittany and one of her younger brothers, Zachariah, recalled. When they were younger, the siblings said he would make them stay up all night cleaning. If they finished, he'd knock everything over again and insult them while they worked. Brittany also told a story about how in high school she and her mother would stop at the Sonic drive-in and she'd be reminded to throw out her trash so her father didn't see it. He hadn't given her permission to spend that money, Brittany said. On April 4, 2010, which was Easter Sunday, Brittany, who was 18, said her two younger brothers were placed with her mother's parents after her father physically abused them and they reported the incidents to the authorities. Brittany said she was also abused at this time. The Roland Police Department doesn't have a record of the event. It doesn't keep files that old, which I can't believe that. It's not, it's 10 years ago. It's not that old. Maybe 10 years they keep them. Maybe, but surely they'd have to archive them. You can't just get rid of criminal. Yeah, they're probably stored somewhere and they just didn't want to get them. Yeah. One of the brothers, Zachariah, also described the incident, saying he had experienced abuse by his father. The grandfather has corroborated this and said he and his wife cared for the boys after they were moved from his daughter's house. Christy also spoke about physical abuse that she endured by her husband. She said he would hold a pillow over her face while yelling and pinning down her arm, she said. She didn't tell anyone because she feared what he would do if he felt disrespected. Plus, she said nothing ever left a mark. So in our group, when kind of the bare bones of information were out, it was just basically that Christy had killed her husband and that she might be putting forward a battered wife plea and everyone was like, hmm, don't know how I feel about this. Um, people even questioned why she didn't leave. She obviously had a chance. She could have left. David was away for days right before the murder in Mexico. She could have packed up and left. Um, David's mother, Jean Richardson, also feels that way. She said that Christy had her own car, a job, and a credit card, and it showed that she wasn't so controlled that she was homebound. And if their relationship was so bad, Christy should have left her son or sought help. His mother said she could have gone to a new city or a battered women's shelter. This young woman was not too dumb to know these things are available, which pretty harsh. Yeah, um, I think it's a really shitty view to have, especially for, is that her mother? No, David's mother. His mother, his mother. Well, yeah, I guess that's why she would say it, because it's his mother. But I was going to say, if that's her mother, that's like wild. But <laughs> I just wanted to make a point to say that obviously it's not that simple for victims of domestic violence. It's yeah. not that easy to leave. And I think the 
next story we're going to talk about kind of shows you why like leaving is the hardest part and the scariest part and the most risky part of when something terrible can happen and you kind of have to plan ahead and obviously this isn't something that we're going to get like deep into because there's so much to it but usually like domestic abuse victims like they're also mentally abused and you feel so much shame and they're made to feel like they're a piece of shit basically especially with him where like the daughter was saying like he was funny he did jokes he was a pastor like publicly everyone like loved this guy like who's gonna believe christy that behind the doors like he's a abuser terrible person so they're just like master manipulators and in a lot of situations there's just like so much to it and they're just scared it's not always easy to escape this is a real case where she had been controlled for decades. So it's not just something that she can, you know. It's yeah, they were together for 30 years. Yeah. So she would have been in some, um, some you know, aspects brainwashed to stay there. That's not something that you can just yeah. turn off because I'm sure she knew she should probably leave, but it's not that easy. Yeah, they're just like the abuser like makes the victim so insecure that they're like, I can't. Yeah survive without this person and like i am a piece of shit maybe i do deserve it and it's just a lot of mental warfare also along with the physical abuse yeah christy's actually spoken to the media about why she didn't leave as well she said that she stayed with him due to a complex mix of shame concern and fear shame over her secret life that the husband had pushed her into concern about what her departure would do to him and fear of who he might hurt after she left i feel like her concern was probably a lot for her children as well yeah. Yeah. So their daughter, Brittany, was asked by the media why she thought her mother finally snapped. She told them that her siblings and her knew that she could leave, they could leave when they turned 18. Um, and she said, we knew we could escape. My mum didn't see an end to it. I don't think she had it in her to continue living that way. Christy and Khalil are both currently charged with first-degree murder. Both of them are due to actually have a hearing today, which is July 8. I've just had a look online. There's no news yet about that, but we will give an update when there is. Um, Christie's defense team have said they intend to present her case as that of a battered woman. So I had a look and there was the NBC article outlines the case of Sally Challen, who was a woman who was sentenced to a life term in prison for bludgeoning her husband to death with a hammer. Um, so this was a UK case, I believe, but, um, the killing and its aftermath were widely covered in the media and her sons publicly advocated for Sally to be released from prison. In 2019, a judge found that Sally's mental illness had been worsened by years of coercive control. She pled guilty to manslaughter and her life term was reduced to time served. So she basically got out of jail straight away. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like there seems to be enough evidence in this case of abuse and control by David that that will be taken into account for her court and sentencing. Yeah, especially since he put a whole bunch of shit in writing on Facebook Messenger of acting like an abusive psychopath so and i think she has a good chance yeah i don't know what if they'll be able to i don't know how how it works there but if they'll be able to kind of lessen the charge or if she will i don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens with the actual court process yeah because it's like they can argue obviously that's premeditated but they can also argue that he was abusive and yeah so it's hard to say like which way it'll go I feel like she probably has a half decent chance of I think so. Getting a lesser charge or, you know, sentence anyway. Depends who's on the jury. <laughs> yeah, true. 
So a few hours before he was murdered, David gave a sermon at the church. It was posted on the church's Facebook. The whole page has since been deleted. Um, During this sermon, he talked about the ways the devil tries to seek and destroy those who witness God's power. If the devil is not attacking you, he said, it means you aren't doing enough to make others believe in Jesus. What a challenge to us because who's coming to Christ because of us? Who's believing in Jesus because of us? And if we're doing anything in that direction, expect for the enemy to come and destroy you. So don't be shocked and start whining and crying. (laughs) Expect it. Be prepared for it. If the devil is not attacking you, there is a reason. If the devil is attacking you, there is a reason. And when David made a post too on his Facebook the day, I'm pretty sure it's the day he died, um, just maybe right before anyway, but he shared a post and it says, live your life so that people realize we are no longer dead but are alive again. So... (laughs) It's a bit creepy now, knowing what happened. The whole devil thing is just like a weird thing to say regardless. Yeah. Like, yeah. like, fuck off. The church released a statement following his death, and it said, Harmony Free Will Baptist Church has been grieving the death of our pastor David Evans over the last few days. The circumstances that are now coming to light have taken us by surprise, and we are greatly saddened. We are aware that even pastors can succumb to human frailty. Great. <laughs> I, I do, I do, like, I... I, I just based on the facts that, you know, the base facts, I feel for the church because I don't, it sounds like no one had any idea of this other life that he was leading. If they did, I don't, you know, obviously feel as bad for them. But if this all came out of the blue, it would be very, you know, it would be hard for them because this guy, everything he's done has gone against all the values of the church. And Um, I was going to say before that um, someone in my family was, married to a man and they had an abusive relationship and like none of us knew it for years and years because it was the same thing where she kind of didn't let anyone know if there was like any suspicion of like a bruise or something there would always be like a reason for it that sounded plausible and she just like a hundred percent was not the type that you would ever not that there's like a type but she was just like such an independent person very strong-willed like had a good job like you just wouldn't think it her now ex-husband the abuser he was such like i guess like a sociopath is the right word because he was so likable so funny like if you were just like someone to meet him you would never suspect like the fucked up shit he was doing behind closed doors so it just seems like these people who are abusers a lot of times are just like have great personalities are funny likable like out in the world but it's all just like a front (laughs) I'd be interested to know why, if if any of this came out before 2017, where he kind of started hounding Christy to have a threesome and, you know, do different sexual things, if this was something that had always gone on or if it just kind of started amplifying in 2017 or I'd love to know more about what was going on at that time. Yeah, I mean, they were together for 30 years. It's like, was it the whole time? Was it half the time? Was it just like a recent thing? Just be curious. Maybe a midlife crisis for him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the last bit in this case for now is that I found his obituary online. Christy is listed in it. I don't know if this was published after she confessed or before, but anyway, she's still in the, in the one that's online. It says, David Evans, 50, formerly of Roland, died March 22 in Ada, Oklahoma. He's survived by wife, Christy of the home, one daughter, two sons, and it just goes on to list the grandchildren and the other parents. Viewing will be one to eight Monday at Agent Mallory Martin Chapel in Muldrow, Oklahoma. So it's a very stock standard obit with no personal memories, which kind of makes sense now, I guess. But 
Yeah, and no, like, adjectives. Like, he was a glowing yeah. angel. No, we will miss him or anything like that, just literally just the facts. Because <laughs> we won't miss him. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see what happens with this hearing that should happen today. Hopefully it happened and it hasn't been pushed back. I can't find any recent updates. Um, the last updates were from April online or, yeah, there's a few rehashing articles, but, yeah, mainly from April and early May about um, what just the case to date. So hopefully we'll get some more information in the next few days. Another thing I was going to say, how we were saying before that we felt like this case, even though it was, like, really – interesting kind of controversial and would be an interesting trial like why it didn't get a lot of attention i remember when the story first happened in the headlines because like all the abuse stuff wasn't known and all the like sex stuff wasn't really known or like the depth of it when the story first came out a lot of the headlines made it seem like it was just like a love triangle gone wrong and like christy had her new lover just like murder her pastor husband so not that it wasn't interesting still but just seen more like run-of-the-mill typical like up oh, someone was having an affair and someone yeah. got murdered and then i feel like people just kind of wrote it off and it just blended in with all the other similar cases and now that it's turned into more because even i didn't really look back into this one for a while until all of you were talking about it and i saw more stuff but like even when i saw headlines about it i was like oh that's that love triangle one so yeah i think it kind of just lost its like wow factor and that's why not as many people have followed it, but hopefully word will get around because I do think it's an interesting case, especially in terms of the domestic abuse and kind of what she went through and what happened and what laws there are to protect people or what will happen at the trial. I will say that when I did read about this case first, I was, and I just read before I went into the deep dive and I just read the facts, you know, that she had a threesome and all that. I absolutely thought this was just a love triangle and, Mm -hmm. you know, she wanted to be with the younger lover and all that stuff. But I'm glad that we went into it more because I think there's just so much more to this case than that. Yeah, I agree. But so the next case we're going to talk about is similar but different, but I did say before, I think it's a good example of maybe why abused women don't leave because it can just kind of escalate into murder sometimes. Yeah. But um, this case is also from this past year. And on May 12th, there started to be news about a woman who was apparent. So this is like a weird thing. And also to preface this, a lot of the articles about this case are in Greek. So a lot of it's translated, so there's a few... Lost in translation issues, yeah. Yeah, and some of the wording might sound weird, so just keep that in mind if there's like an age discrepancy or a time discrepancy or just something sounds weird. A lot of it, it wasn't in English for the first part. Yeah. But so another thing with that is it's everything says that this woman, she's 20 years old, but if you look at her birthday, she would have been 20 years old like now. Her birthday was in July. But when this happened, she was really only 19, but I guess in Greek or Greece, wherever, um, they round kind of up. So a lot of things say she was 20 years old, but she was really 19, so she was very young. So young. But her name is Caroline Crouch, and she lived in Greece, but she was British. So she was a statistics student at the University of... Also, there's a lot of words I can't really pronounce, (laughs) so I'm going to do my best here, so... Sorry if you're, like, a Greek linguist and I mess all this up. I do know that word because I've been there. University of Piraeus. Okay. <laughs> so she was from University of Piraeus. She, when she was eight years old, she moved um, to the island of 
Alan Nisos with her Filipino mother, Susan, Della Cuesta, and British father, David Crouch. At the time this all happened, Caroline lived with her husband, who was a pilot. And this is another rough name. His name was <laughs> Char Lambos Babis Anagnostop. Oh, no, he's got a very Pol- great name. Yeah, it's very Char Lambos Babis Ag... Oh, I don't even know. Anag... Agnostopolos. An agnostopolis, I think it is. <laughs> um, but we're just going to call him Babis. Babis, yeah. That's his nickname, nickname or whatever, yeah. I guess. Um, and they also lived with their 11-month-old baby who was named Lydia. A nice, simple name. Love to see it. <laughs> in the suburbs of Glyca Beta in Athens. At the time of Caroline's murder, he and Babis had been together for... This is where one of the discrepancies is. Either they're together for like four to five years. And if you do the math, that would have made her somewhere between 14 to 16 years old when she met him. And he was like 28, I think. Yeah. Um, Like I've seen some articles say she was 15. I've seen some articles say she was 16. Either way, she was way too young to be dating a 28-year-old. That's the bottom line. So we have their Instagram profiles. They're, they have a family one that says our family journal caroline had one and babis had one all of them are private except for babis's but doesn't really have anything overly thrilling he does have photos with her and posts with her you know trying to look at make it look like they're living the best instagram aesthetic life ever but he's he's quite good looking like he looks kind of baby-faced and you know handsome and she's beautiful and you know their life's gorgeous has got travel photos and photos of his helicopter and because he was a pilot and things like that so like it's a night there's only like 18 or so photos on there so there's not much for over the years but you know what is on there is very pleasingly you know aesthetically pleasing yeah is the photo the last one they posted was that after she died or before so there was um, there's a photo of them on their wedding day, and that was posted after she died. And the last photo was nine weeks ago, so that was right before she died, and that was of them in Dubai. Yeah. So I think the the most recent one of them together was meant to kind of be like a memorial. Yeah. The caption on it was like "until we meet again" or something. Yeah, like have a nice trip or have something like that. Yeah, it was something like ambiguous, but yeah, if you it's know what happened, you're still like- we don't know what it is, but. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just used Instagram Translate, so. <laughs> it says, together forever. Have a nice trip, my love. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, ambiguous, but. So, Babis, once this, once she was murdered and the police were involved, he used the old burglary break-in <laughs> story that seems to be everyone's go-to. Um, he said that burglars had forced their way into the couple's home and had tied him up while holding a gun to their baby's head, and that the burglars forced Caroline to tell him where $54,000 worth of cash and jewelry was hidden, and then they strangled her. Like, that just doesn't seem, like, realistic. Yeah. So at the time, there was a news article, and the article described what happened as this. They said, The robbers forced their way into the two-story house at 4.30 a.m. this morning after breaking a CCTV camera and hanging the family's dog, Bruno, by its own leash. According to the news site, a fourth criminal kept watch outside the suburban home as the other three found the couple sleeping with their child in an attic bedroom. 
Miss Crouch was tied to the bed using a t-shirt and was strangled to death, reportedly to stop her screaming for her baby's safety. Some conflicting reports say her husband was found sleeping in another room by the killers. According to the Times, who spoke to a senior police officer, Babis tried to fight the gang off before he was tied to a chair. Once the armed men fled, Babis managed to free himself to find his baby daughter crying beside the lifeless body of her mother. An investigator said, The woman appears to have been strangled by the robbers in their bid to locate jewelry and cash the couple may have had in their home. We're waiting for the coroner's report to establish if there was any other type of assault. Locals say Proto Thema reports that the distraught husband told police about the moment he was attacked by the three men. He said, It was shortly after five. I saw three hooded men. One was tall. They shouted and threatened in broken Greek. They tied me to a chair and then went on my wife. The same report quotes that the pilot, uh, the husband, as telling police he was sleeping downstairs during the break-in. He said, When I managed to break free, I rushed upstairs to the attic to find my wife on the floor facing down, and the baby next to her wailing. Babis called the police around 6 a.m. And I thought it was confusing, because didn't they say she was found tied in the bed, and he's saying she was found face down on the floor? I don't know if it's just because there's so much, like so many different stories that it's all just kind of a little bit muddled up. Yeah. So it's like, it could be translation, could just be that it was a big mess of stories at the time, or he was just messing up his own story. Yeah. Who knows? So the Greek government immediately issued a reward for $465,000 for info leading to the identification and arrest of the men involved. Police spokesperson Theodoros described the murder as a heinous crime committed with extreme ferocity. He said, we've seen several other ugly murders throughout the years, but this was extremely brutal and violent. So the Greek authorities began the investigation into Caroline's murder. They found a psychologist who said he'd been treating Caroline for postnatal depression and had separately been treating Babis for an unspecified condition as well. So DNA evidence collected from underneath Caroline's fingernails proved to be inconclusive, and the CCTV cameras at the home failed to provide clues because they were either not working or didn't have enough memory on the night of the break-in to save the recording of what happened. Very convenient. <sighs> yeah, very convenient. It's like the robbers just like knew it was the perfect moment, all the stars aligned. <laughs> um, investigators are trying to work out how burglars how the burglars had known there was $10,000 cash in the house after Babis told them that the thieves seemed to know about it. We talked about this in our group, and someone in the group who was local to the area made a post right after this happened, and they said, There's currently no suspicion around the husband. He had recently withdrawn a large amount of money from the bank in order for the family to purchase a land lot, and police are thinking that the robbers had inside knowledge of this, and they were monitoring the couple's moves. There was foreign DNA under her fingernails that had been collected, and they are running all the evidence through their criminal database. Um, they put the gun on the baby's head to make them reveal where their money was. The woman started screaming and reacting physically. Apparently, she was a martial arts athlete. They gagged her with her own shirt to stop her from shouting and basically smothered her and left her on the bed. Her cause of death literally just came out in its asphyxiation due to airway obstruction. The husband was on the floor, tied and blindfolded throughout this ordeal, and at some point he said he stopped hearing his wife's voice. It took him more than an hour to manage to untie himself and call the police. 
They went on to say, I don't think they entered with the intention of killing her and leaving him alive. I think she was collateral damage because they got scared by her shouting. Just like they killed and hanged their poor husky puppy that was barking. I really don't think the husband was involved. There was nothing in it for him. And it really doesn't look like one of those cases. But I guess time will tell. I just have to butt in here. At the start, I said, I think one of the first comments I said was, I'm suspicious of the husband. This sounds sus. And then this other person who gave her a lot of really good info, local info, they were they were adamant. They were like, nope, the husband isn't involved. You know, everyone doesn't, no one thinks he's involved. So it's interesting just to see the different, I guess, points of view at the time. Yeah, I, I think. It's hard to say just because it's like, I already know what happens, but like the whole robbery story just seems kind of weird. Like, yeah. I wonder if I didn't know if I'd believe it more because I didn't follow it at the time it happened. But I don't, I just, a lot of it is like, what? Why? Like, I'm yeah. sure it could happen. And it also reminded me of um, the murders that happened in Cheshire, Connecticut, where the husband was tied up in the basement and the, the, random burglars like murdered and tortured the wife and kids upstairs and he could hear it happening but somehow the husband escaped and yep. um, they were all murdered so I was like I wonder if he heard that story but anyways at Caroline's memorial service Babis gave a eulogy and he said our loved ones are the most important people to us all he said at the time while wiping away some tears and holding their baby daughter in his arms and he also said you should always look after your loved ones and enjoy your time together Ballsy. <laughs> Bold move. <laughs> Knowing what, what's about to come. <laughs> the investigation went on for over a month, and a suspect was detained but released when they found that they couldn't tie the person to the murder. And on June 15th, there was a big break in the case. So detectives, and this is really interesting. I love when cool forensic investigation yeah. stuff happens. That's I do think not... this was a really cool thing that they did. Yeah, we're... We're kind of being nerds about it, but... <laughs> so, detectives took biometric data from Caroline's smartwatch and analyzed the exact time her heart stopped beating. They learned that this time had differed from Babis's account of what happened. Police took him into custody for questioning after they realized that. So, it's cool to think that, like, your smartwatch, your, like, fitness band, they could use that to figure out who murdered you if you ever yeah. get murdered. <laughs> so, you know, go out and buy one if you don't have one. It would be great to have Fitbit as a sponsor right now. <laughs> um, so officers say the couple were bickering in the hours before her death via text messages exchanged in English, showing that one had called the other stupid. I wish they elaborated on that a little bit more, but that's that's what we got. The first official statement in five weeks since it happened, the police said, the husband of the victim in Glyca Nera is at the homicide department in order to be examined as the only eyewitness following new data that has emerged from the inquiry. So the day after Babis was taken into was taken in by police, he confessed to killing Caroline. Police determined that he had used his phone during a time when he initially told them that he was tied up in the basement, and his activity tracker also alerted them to that inconsistency. So basically, he said he was tied up in the basement, but his phone and fitness tracker showed them different. So from there, we learned that Caroline's biometric watch later recorded an intense pulse stimulation when Babis began attacking her in front of their daughter. She was asleep when he began the attack. She fought him for some 10 minutes until her watch recorded that her heart had stopped. Babis then placed baby Lydia next to her mother's body in a bid to create a more convincing crime scene. It's like, sure, traumatize your child while you're at it, whatever, at this point. 
And, and then as a more, just like another what the fuck twist, he also drowned their puppy and hanged its body from a railing to blame the fictional Albanian criminals who he told police broke into the house. So just like, this guy's really fucked up. Yeah, definitely. So on the night of her death, Caroline messaged a friend saying she was leaving her husband and data from her phone also showed that she tried to book herself into a hotel that night with her daughter. So like I was saying with the last case, sometimes when they do try to leave and escape, like if you don't have this elaborate sneaky plan, it just escalates and this is what could happen. So while Babis was at the police station, he was interrogated for eight hours before he eventually confessed. He said that night we had been arguing from early on. At some point, she threw the child in her cot and she told me to get up and leave the house. She pushed me and punched me. My judgment became blurred. I strangled her and I staged the robbery, he said. So he was charged with premeditated murder, animal abuse, providing false testimony and filing a false police report about the robbery. So then it seems like Caroline kept a diary and some excerpts from this diary were leaked to the media after Babis was arrested, which is kind of an issue. And it's something that it seems like they're going to fight about because it's evidence technically. So come it out, yeah. yeah, like it could affect the trial or the jury and all that. Um, so some excerpts from it that were leaked, um, Caroline said, I fought with Babis again. This time it was serious. I hit him, I cursed at him, and he broke down the door. All I wanted was for him to ask how I am when I woke up. I woke up so weak and tired. I'm thinking of leaving. I'm thinking of going to my sister's. I don't know if I can keep going with Babis. I love him so much that I can't leave him, even though this relationship hurts me. Then when she was pregnant with Lydia in 2019, Caroline wrote, Last night we fought with Babis because I had a meltdown because of my hormones. I yelled at him and hit him and told him I don't want our baby. I'm not well. I'm very upset. I know he would never hurt my baby. My love for her is stronger than anything in the world. And then on July 3rd, 2020, when Lydia, the baby, was only a month old, she wrote in the journal, Say my little one is a month old. It's also the day I told Babis I want to leave. I feel awful. So that's all we really got from that. So it's really just tiny glimpses at a bigger picture. Um, Babis's lawyers were obviously not happy that the diary entries were leaked, like we were saying before. Um, separately, the Supreme Court prosecutor, he ordered an investigation to how the diary entries were leaked to the media. In a letter to the Athens prosecutor on Tuesday, one of the attorneys said their publication was an, quote, affront to the deceased's personality and may even contribute to generating a favorable climate for the defendant over the course of the criminal process. So it seems like they kind of maybe see an out to all of this and they're going to try to go for a mistrial or something like that over it. So hopefully that doesn't happen. Babas, he's been appearing in court more recently over this. So some more information did come out about the night of the murder and his relationship with Caroline. Police released what they think is an accurate timeline of what happened that night. So at 12.35 a.m. on May 11th, a CCTV camera on the ground floor of the couple's home captures its last image, which police say shows Babis sitting on the sofa. In his arms is his infant daughter and his hands, and in his hands is a phone, which they say he was using to text Caroline, who was upstairs. And they say that the couple, the two of them, they were in the midst of an argument via text. 
and Olivia and I were saying before, because it seems like there's, I don't know if it's a discrepancy or just like, it's not clear because it said when they're talking about the data from her watch that she was asleep before the attack happened. So my guess is she was asleep until maybe midnight when they started texting arguing because it goes on to seem like she like she wasn't just asleep before this happened. Yeah. So then 1.20 a.m., Babis removes the memory card from the camera. According to data stored in the device, he'll later admit to snapping it in half and flushing it down the toilet. And what officers argue is evidence that Caroline's murder was premeditated. So in between, this is like a, a big general time slot. So between 12.30 a.m. and 4 a.m., Babis and Caroline continue to argue over text messages, which officers describe as particularly sharp and hard, with the couple fighting fiercely. At some point, Caroline messages a friend to say she's leaving her husband, and she also attempted to check herself into a hotel for the night. Police say the argument ended with a face-to-face confrontation in front of their daughter, with Caroline ordering Babis out of the house and telling him she wanted to get a divorce. So right after that, at 4.01, A fitness tracker attached to Caroline's wrist shows a sudden burst of heart activity. Detectives believe this is the moment a fight broke out between the couple. And in a statement to police, Babis said that Caroline hit him and he lost control, throwing her onto the bed before pressing her face into a pillow. For 11 a.m., Caroline's fitness tracker shows that her heartbeat has stopped. She is dead. Detectives say Babis stuffed cotton into her mouth and then smothered her. And then from 4.11 to 6 a.m., Babis spends the pre-dawn hour staging an elaborate break-in. According to the police's versions of events, he broke a latch on the downstairs window. He turned out hiding spots to make it look like um, the house was robbed, you know, like flipping drawers and flipping things over like people were searching for stuff. And then in a sick twist, he drowned the couple's seven-month-old husky puppy and hanged its body from a stair banister with its leash. And he later told police that the robbers must have killed it on their way in so that the dog's barking wouldn't wake anyone up. Mm. I know. It makes me... That's like... (laughs) Just like (laughs) really is... It's like murdering is bad enough, but then like going out of your way to then just also murder a puppy when you didn't really have to. Like... I saw a meme the other day and it was like, when you find out the family annihilator killed the family dog, you've just gone too far. (laughs) It's like with the... Wasn't it the tote family tote, where everyone was yeah, like, the but the dog, is the dog okay? Breezy. Where's Breezy? Oh my God, Breezy. <laughs> breezy lived, right? Breezy was... No, Breezy died. He I'm did. Sure breezy I am... died. I'm I think sure you're right. Breezy. Yeah, Breezy Breezy was also stabbed. <laughs> so I remember, rude. I remember, I remember he's dead. I know, so terrible. It's like, leave the dogs alone. Ugh. Um, anyways, so then it seems that Babis blindfolded, blindfolded himself, tied himself to the bed, and placed a call to a neighbor who alerted them about the burglary. So I guess then the neighbor called 911. So while he was being interrogated, Babis also spoke about his panic on that night. He said, I thought of making one last attempt so that Lydia might at least grow up with her father. I thought of disappearing... This is a translation thing. I thought of disappearing Caroline's body, but it was impossible for me to do so 
Just looking at her, I cried. The next thing I thought was to say that someone else did it. I would tell the police the robbers entered the house. I was in a panic. I did not know what to do. I thought that in order to look more plausible, plausible and to believe that rogue robbers had entered, I would have to hurt the dog um, because no one would think that he could harm a dog. Mm. So that's what he thought. <laughs> um, so it also emerged that Babis asked Caroline's parents for money after her murder. First, he killed Caroline, and then he asked her parents for money to pay for her coffin and to fly her body from Athens for the funeral, and they gave him 4,000 euros, euros, and he paid nothing. Yeah. And some reports allege that Caroline's mother gave Babis 17,000 euros 10 days before the murder, but we don't know much about that yet. I wonder what he needed that money for. Yeah, it seems like he, that we're about to get into, was into some maybe shady stuff. Yeah. So one theory that has emerged during court proceedings is that Babis was smuggling drugs for cartels and that he killed Caroline when she found out about that because, you know, he's a pilot, so that's probably helpful for drug smugglers. Police officers found that the couple had recently purchased a $47,000 plot of land, designed a $140,000 I'm saying dollars, but it's euros, dollar yeah. home, and enjoyed an expensive getaway to Dubai recently. Caroline's father, David Crouch, he even said that he believes there was some foundation to the rumors that Babis was involved in drug smuggling. Caroline's parents, Susan and David, they spoke about the situation, said, David said, Susan and I will spend the rest of our lives making sure that justice is done and ensuring that her little daughter Lydia is brought up with all the advantages that we can give her and that the memories of her mother live forever. The Crouches have been given temporary custody of Lydia. It's thought that Babis's family also want custody of the child, so a permanent custody arrangement is pending by the court. So that's, that's like a whole nother fiasco. Like, it's like I wouldn't want... My murderer's family seeing this baby, but then it's like, you know, it's not their fault that their son's yeah. a crazy murderer, probably. Yeah. So that sucks, too. So Babis, he faced the media outside of the court complex in Athens recently, and he said, I would like to say a big sorry, and I wish I could go back in time, but I can't. It's like, thank you for that. Processors were screaming at him, right in jail, and monster. Um, Babis is being held in custody at the notorious Corey Dallas prison, Greece's main maximum security facility, which is located on the outskirts of Athens. And it's considered one of Europe's worst jails, and it's blighted by gang violence, overcrowding, and drugs. It's so bad that the Greek government has actually vowed to shut it down eventually. Um, but under Greek law, his trial has to take place within the next 18 months, and during that time, Babis will just languish in the shitty scary prison which is i don't really understand like i was trying to figure out last night the whole greek process because it seems like there's a lot of hearings with if for for not actually being a trial yeah um i don't really understand how it works yeah i maybe if you do send us a message yeah and i had a look at some photos of the prison too it does look pretty horrendous like there's one photo there's like one, three, four rows of bunk beds, one single bed. Like it looks like it's a slum, basically. Like I know it's a prison, but it doesn't look clean. It doesn't look hygienic. It just the looks a slum of prisons. A slum, like a prison slum. It, it does look like a horrible place. Yeah. 
So media reports say that Babis's defense will be that he was in a blurred state of mind after his wife was, quote, verbally and physically aggressive towards him. So if his account is believed, which I doubt it will be, hopefully, he could see any potential sentence reduced to a maximum of 15 years in prison. Um, the most recent updates in the case were a few days ago. One article said, <laughs> this is also crazy, mm-hmm. not crazy, but just like, what? Cops refused to transport Caroline Crouch's husband by a police chopper in case he tried to crash it in a suicide bid. Like, you can't control someone in a helicopter? <laughs> like, he's going to somehow overtake it? <laughs> All right. It's not like he's a big guy. He was just like a little scrawny shrimp. Yeah. Like, I'm sure if they handcuffed him and, you know, restrained him, it would be fine. I think that's just a bit of sensationalist reporting by the tabloids. Like with Josh Duggar when they're like, the house is desolate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and grim. <laughs> um, and then the other little news update was that it said, Caroline Crouch's killer husband smiled like he was on a cruise after being arrested. <laughs> more funny on a cruise like what a random comparison (laughs) yeah not all cruises are fun (laughs) so i mean that's really it for that case like for both cases they're ongoing they're still in court and will probably be going to trial so we will keep you guys posted if anything happens with them but sounds like caroline's one is going to be ongoing for even years maybe but hopefully not that long (laughs) yeah Uh, Yeah, hopefully at least some more information comes out. But um, some other famous cases where spouses likely killed their partner. These were the the honorable mentions. Some of them we already covered. Suzanne and Barry Morphew, Josh and Susan Powell, Jennifer and Fotis Dulos, and Jodi Arias. Very high profile ones. And there's some other, you know, I, I was just reading about a random case this morning where a lady killed her husband and said that he did it while he was cleaning his gun like there's a lot of them that people try and kind of cover up and lie about until the truth comes out we can make a an arrogant spouse series yeah <laughs> that could be a whole podcast <laughs> yeah smug spouse oh one thing i did want to say about with caroline um i like reading the story i i always because some of the excerpts of the journal entries and like what he's saying it seems like they're trying to like spin it on like that she was like kind of the aggressor and he just reacted and that, and that she was she a bit was, crazy that she was crazy yeah. and the psychologist said that she was dealing with like uh postnatal depression and stuff like that and at first part of me was like oh you know i mean i guess maybe but then i was also remembering she is also a lot younger than him. She was only 19 years old. They were dating since yeah. she was 16. And I feel like that's also just a clear sign that, um, what's He's his name? Babish. Yeah, is a, like a manipulator, a predator. Like the power dynamic is not equal. But I just think it shows, just the age difference alone shows that that's probably that's not something. exactly the case. He might have been looking for someone to kind of, you know, control and manipulate and. I find that's often the case, Uh, you know, obviously I'm generalizing and it's always, not always the case, but often it's the case when a younger, there's a younger spouse, it's a control thing. No, yeah, I agree. When there's a big age difference, that's usually because the older person is looking for someone to manipulate and control and abuse because women their age um, won't put up with it. 
yeah, I won't put up with it and like know the signs of abuse better and have more like confidence and stability where they don't feel like they need to like depend on this guy. But I also feel like maybe because she was getting older, you know, like she was even still, she's so young, but like as she was getting older, she's probably kind of realizing his behavior or whatever it was wasn't right. Maybe she started standing up for herself and that's why she was kind of trying to leave. And that's what caused him to lash out because he could no longer control her the way he could when she was fucking 16 years old. But I think it'll be interesting maybe more about their relationship will come out during the trial because I'm sure they'll try to spin that she is the crazy one. But hopefully they'll have some more evidence that he is just a piece of shit. It sounds like in this case too, which is similar to the first one, that there is some evidence like she's got her journals and it sounds like there's actual written evidence of things that went on. So it will be interesting to see what comes out. I'm always shocked in cases by how many people who are like murdered or something or something happens that have journals I'm like is it really that common to have a journal like <laughs> who keeps a journal anymore <laughs> that's what i mean like am i the like ignorant one for thinking like who the fuck has a journal like should i have a journal i don't have a journal maybe i should though i remember like <laughs> when i was in like early high school and middle school I, i'm assuming it was like a thing in australia too did you have like live journal and zanga yes yes yeah. <laughs> i always tried to find my live journal just to have a look i can't remember what my what my thing was but oh my god yeah, i'd rather die than ever journal. see mine <laughs> <laughs> it was probably so dramatic eighth grade <laughs> but yeah maybe we should restart them just in case anything ever happens to us yeah put it all online so we can have the evidence yeah <laughs> Justice by Live Journal. <laughs> but Sounds like a lifetime movie. Oh my god, it totally would be. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's really it for both those cases. Like I said, we'll keep you guys updated with them. If you want to get more quote breaking updates, follow us on Instagram and our Facebook page and our forum. Everything gets posted there faster, obviously, than we can podcast it because we don't podcast often enough for that. Maybe one yeah. day, but today is not that one day. day. One day. One day. If you guys keep listening and give us good reviews and get other people to listen, maybe that one day will come sooner when we can quit our jobs and our job can be <laughs> podcasting. So let's manifest it. Go leave a good review right now if you haven't already. If you have, make a fake account. Leave another good review. <laughs> I've had some nice ones this week, so thank you. We put always put them up on our Instagram, so thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, they really do mean a lot to me because if I wasn't getting good reviews or if we were getting mean reviews, I would not be doing this still. <laughs> <laughs> so keep that up. But yes. Um, Otherwise, I don't know what we're going to cover next week. If you guys have any ideas, let us know. But otherwise, that's it. Is there anything you want to say? I think that's it for today. All right. So we will see you guys next time. Yeah.